This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week we bring you the Doctor's Lounge, which is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is a non-for-profit healthcare think tank, the only one that's run and operated by practicing physicians. We stand for the doctor-patient relationship and for healthcare freedom for all Americans. And we bring you this show every week so that we can give you the information and arm you so that you can be prepared to do what you need to do to stand up for your healthcare freedoms and do uh, the work that we're trying to urge you to do to uh, make sure that uh, nobody takes that right away from you. Uh, we have uh, many sponsors, many uh, people who have partnered with us. One of our major partners is the Heartland Institute, which uh, uh, features the Docs for Patient Care Foundation in their uh, monthly health care newsletters. So uh, please go to uh, heartland.org and uh and uh, pick up their uh, healthcare newsletters, and you'll see all the uh, healthcare content which uh, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is responsible for helping to put together. Uh, we uh, uh, have a busy uh, agenda today on the show, and I'm welcoming back a good friend of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and the Doctors Lounge, uh, Grace Marie Turner. Um, we uh, uh, wanted Grace Marie on today to uh, discuss an issue that she's going to be uh, debating uh, in the uh, coming weeks in Colorado, and this is an issue that we have uh, uh, featured on this show previously. Grace Marie is the uh, president and founder of the Galen Institute, which is a public policy research organization that uh, stands for free market uh, uh, health care uh, uh, issues and reforms, and she has uh, a resume resume that is way too long to uh, enumerate. But she is a, an accomplished expert in healthcare. She's written the book "Why Obamacare Is Wrong for America," um, and uh, it's still wrong for America. And we're seeing this every single day. And uh, um, so it's. Uh, it's with my pleasure that I'm welcoming back Grace Marie Turner into the Doctor's Lounge. Good morning, Grace Marie. Doctor Sure, it's such a pleasure to be with you, and I thank you for all you do in founding and guiding and leading Docs for Patient Care. It really is the center for the conversation over free market health reform and a doctor-patient relationship, and I know you're highly respected on Capitol Hill, where I spend a great deal of time, and in the States, where you have many chapters. So congratulations, and thank you for all you do, not only taking care of your patients to provide them such quality care, but devoting so much of your professional life to really changing the public policy climate so that you can, in fact, put patients first. Well, I, I, I'm blushing, and, and, I, and I really uh, uh, do appreciate the kind words that, that you've uh, just said, but we couldn't do this without the help and the guidance of people like yourself. It's the Mutual Admiration Society, I suppose, and uh, we've, we've really, uh, you know, as, as practicing physicians, we are told not to worry about these matters, leave health care to people who, um, the, the health care policy to people who are experts at it, and just concentrate on patient care. And when, when 
the doctors abdicate that responsibility, we see where we're left. We're left with uh, a uh, a system that is badly broken and in need of the leadership of people who understand health care and, and live and breathe it every day. So, That's exactly right. And you really, um, I mean, it's not right that doctors should abandon public policy, but I, I do feel that too many of them have trusted the government. They've trusted public people who whose jobs it is to um, get policy decisions right, and I think that's really been to the detriment of the, of the profession, and thank you for understanding the importance of the policy conversation. Oh, thank you. And it's not just the government. I, I don't want to put all the blame on them. It's all the special interests that are trying to suck money out of a uh, um, almost $3 trillion annual health care economy. So, so uh, the, the, uh, the, the wolves or the foxes are definitely guarding the hen house with regard to health care, and we've got to try to see if we can uh, lock that door again. So, so let's let's get to uh, some of the uh, um, meaty issues that we've got to talk about, and the 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 one that uh, we wanted you to come back on the show to discuss primarily today, Grace Marie, is Colorado Care. This is the single. Um, a payer initiative that is going to be on the Colorado ballot in November. And uh, we had uh, uh, Dr. Um, Henry Fabian, uh, the director of the Colorado Spine Center, on about a month ago explaining what's going on in Colorado. Give us your take on this. So in 2017, the Affordable Care Act allows states to basically do health reform their way so that they can, um, if they don't like the provisions of the Affordable Care Act, we could call it Obamacare here. I think the president said he's fine with that. Uh, Then they can say, we we think we could do a better job. They can't spend any more money than the ACA spends, and they can't, and they have to cover as many people and meet a number of other goals. Put aside the fact that the ACA is not meeting its old goals and is spending more money than anticipated, but nonetheless, that's what the law says. So Colorado has decided that it wants to take advantage of this and start its own health care system within Colorado, in which basically the ACA would no longer exist, employer-based health insurance would no longer exist, they would integrate Medicaid into this. They don't call it a single payer. They said, oh, people will still have other choices. Well, I don't think that's going to be the case. About 85% of the people in Colorado would be under this new system. They can't override Medicare. And it would appoint a, a, a 21-person board would initially be appointed by the governor and then elected members after that for four-year terms, and they would make decisions about how the health care system in Colorado would be run. They assume that they are going to have to impose a 10% payroll tax across the board on everybody in the state to pay for this. The annual budget would be about $38 billion, which is 50% more than the state spends on everything now. There's Colorado uh, annual budget is about $25 plus billion to run education, public safety, roads, uh, parks, all of the different functions of state government would now 
be basically um, run by the legislature, but everything involving health care would be run by this 21-person board, including setting fees for physicians. And they say, well, doctors would have the choice of not participating in this system and being able to see patients privately. But with basically 100% of the people in the state under this new system, it would be very difficult for people to, uh, for physicians to continue to have a private practice in which they determine what their rates are. Now, I know that that's a problem now, but it's, there's not been a state that has tried so aggressively to basically price control um, the health medical care, and I think you'd see a huge flight of physicians, and particularly the best physicians, to other states to, to escape those kinds of, of controls. They, of course, think this is going to be utopian. I'm going to be doing a series of three debates in Colorado next week with several of the people who are involved in organizing this effort, and um, we will be I'll be talking with Linda Gorman, who's a wonderful health policy expert who works with the Independence Institute. It's a Colorado-based state think tank, and she really not only understands, obviously, the state and its health sector, but she she has a really deep understanding of, of health policy. Just as an example, Hal, Vermont had decided it, several years ago, actually, it wanted to do the same thing that it wanted a single-payer health care system for Vermont that looks more like the Canadian or the British system. It spent hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, for this state of about half a million people and concluded that the, the taxes that would have to be raised to pay for a government-run health care system would crush the economy of Colorado jobs would be lost, the quality of health care could de- decline. There are still people in the state who, who are determined to do this, but they did a very extensive analysis. And those are the things that we need to take to Colorado to explain to them what Vermont learned about what the consequences would be of turning such a huge part of the state's economy over to these 21 elected, they'll basically be politicians, right, yeah. to run the health care system. And I, I just think it's hugely risky. I haven't seen any polling data on this. They clearly got enough support to get it on the ballot. It's going to be, Proposition 69 is going to be on the ballot in November, and the voters of Colorado will have a chance to decide whether whether they want this utopian dream of a single-payer health care system or whether or not they really want to face the facts and the reality. And I'm going to remind them of the things that President Obama talked about when he was, when the Affordable Care Act was being debated. You know, every family is going to save $2,500. Well, people are spending at least that much more, not saving that amount. If you'd like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Millions of people have found that's not true. If you like your plan, you can keep your plan. That's absolutely not true. So when you listen to the promises they make to get these passed, I think that the voters need to, to see those promises aren't kept. Whatever they're telling them now, they're saying that they're in Colorado, that they'll save something like $6 billion a year. 
Well, that's not worked out with Obamacare, and it would not work out with Colorado Care. Governments are not good at managing complex economies. No, and they, they can write some rules, but they're not going to be able to manage something this complex. That's right. In it, it, when Medicare was passed, um, uh, President Johnson was told that the cost of the program would uh, not exceed ten billion dollars annually um, before 1990, and in fact, the cost of Medicare exceeded $100 billion um, much sooner than that. So so you're 100% right about government not being fiscally responsible and being incapable of managing a program in health care, uh, especially one of this magnitude. And you don't have to look any further than the VA hospital, which is a, a perfect example of a of a, a closed government-run system, um, and that's what this would be. But um, Henry Fabian <clears throat> was uh, telling us that this is actually flying under the radar. I said uh, when we talked to him, well, gosh, there must be a tremendous amount of outrage in Colorado, and we're coming up to a hard break right now, so I'm going to pose this question to you, Grace Marie, and then have you answer it after the break. But um, but Henry said that uh, the instead of there being uh, open debate about this issue, nobody in Colorado knows about it. It's flying under the radar, and that's what's concerning him. And and when we come back, I want you to uh, uh, comment on whether or not this is uh, purposely um, not being. Uh, uh, Advertised, and if there's uh, a hidden agenda there when we come back in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio, sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Please go to our website and uh, read about the issues that we've been talking about the last few weeks. We've really hit on macro. We'll try to get into that a little bit maybe toward the end of the show, but I want to continue talking about Colorado Care and um, and uh, have Grace Marie answer the question that I posed about this flying under the radar. What do you think? Uh, I don't think that that voters are aware of this of this to the extent that they need to be and to the extent that it would have a direct and I think negative impact on millions of lives in Colorado. But it's it's really the sort of the asymmetry of the public policy debate. You get a group that's funded somehow that feels very passionately about an issue. They are able to muster their troops. I think that the Bernie Sanders candidacy, candidacy has really helped them because he's been going around the country talking about the value of a single-payer health care system. And they are passionate and engaged and involved. But the, the many, many more people don't even know this is happening. And they don't understand, as you say, the impact this is going to have on, have on them. So they're not organized. They don't have resources. They don't have an organization to fight back. And that's why think tanks like the Independence Institute in Colorado and the Galen Institute that focuses exclusively on health policy in the states as well as at the federal level, that's why we need to go out and, and really take them on and debate these issues and present people with the facts. The Steamboat Institute, I know how you have been a wonderful friend of the Steamboat Institute. As in have you. And they are uh, sponsoring this series of debates. And so they are, they are taking on the lead in really trying to help educate people. But it's not the same as the people who are funded, no doubt, by some you know, liberal deep pockets that want to get this ballot initiative passed. And because this is such a bizarre election year, you know, who knows what's going to happen in November. If, an, if, if millions of conservative voters stay home and don't vote at all because they don't like the presidential candidates, then it is possible something like this could slip through. So I, I, this is a very real risk, and people need to be educated. And they need to be educated that this alone in Colorado may be a big enough reason for them to go to the polls and vote. Who do you think's behind this? I don't know. I'm gonna. I hope to find out more when I'm when I'm there. They, the, there are state legislators who are um, who are sponsoring this, and so I think that they they must have funding from someplace. But there are so many groups, the um, including physician groups, calling for a single payer system. Um, Hemel's Harb and I th- others from Harvard. I think. I think. Well, the the physician community who asks, who calls for a single payer, typically are academics, but but there's a, a subset of physicians who are calling for single payer because they're fed up with the insurance industry and they misguidedly think that having a single payer will solve all the woes of the. Uh, of, of reimbursement that, that they're facing with insurance and, and they just don't get the fact that, you know, you're, you're trading one devil for another. They think government's going to suddenly become their friend, don't they? They, they sure do. And they're, uh, you know, uh, these despite are... Despite all the evidence. These are misguided people. But w- walk us through what... Th- I, this, this uh, you're 100% right. This um, has a, a real chance of passing and, and can be a, a real serious problem for 
uh, on many levels, and it, it's going it, it's it can have uh, negative repercussions for the Colorado community, for the for the healthcare community in Colorado, for the patients in Colorado, and and for the rest of the country. Can you sort of walk us through some of these these uh, p- potential uh, um, pitfalls and repercussions? Well, I, you know, we do we do fortunately have evidence of what what happens under government controlled single payer healthcare systems, and we see in the UK that that care gets often covertly rationed, but it is rationed in the sense that physicians are discouraged from doing the tests that might be done to, um, to do early detection of cancer, for example, from prescribing the newest, best, most innovative medicines. Um, generics are much more popular in a, in a single-payer healthcare system. So people don't, they don't have the um, the options of getting the quality care that they have gotten, and I hope in many cases still do get in the United States, because government is always looking over the, the, the shoulders of physicians. And I've had physicians tell me how how painful it is, because in, in the U.K. at least, people can, have, uh, can privately pay a physician, and that same physician may be working with the National Health Service to see patients that are insured under that. And they will say that they have, will have a patient come in who has private insurance, and they can tell them, they can send them right away for diagnostic tests, and they can tell them the drug, the full panoply of drug and treatment options that are available to them. Right after that, they may have a patient from the NHS, and they, they instantly know that their treatment options are curtailed, that they may have to wait to do the diagnostic test, that that patient is very likely only going to be eligible to get older, cheaper, generic drugs that may not be as effective as, as the newer drugs. So they, they say it's a terrible dilemma when you see, when you see patients with private pay, patients with single-payer systems, and the restrictions on their care. The left never talks about that. And oftentimes, patients don't see it. They don't even know their care is being rationed because they are not told the treatment options. I think that's going to be increasingly difficult, not only in the United States of America, but in the information age, when people can go on the Internet and find out for themselves what are their treatment options. We see the results of this system in the U.K., Women are much more likely to die from breast cancer. The men are much less likely to have early, earlier diagnoses of prostate cancer when it can be treated. More, more cancers are detect, the cancers are detected less early, less frequently, less early, and more people die as a result in government-run systems. And there's just no denying that evidence. When people are sick, where do they want to come? To the United States, because this is where we have a quality health care system that, by and large, is private. And, and government-run health care systems discourage innovation, and they discourage, <clears throat> pardon me, quality care. Do you think that if this <clears throat> if this p- initiative passes in Colorado, that it will spark other states to do uh, the same thing, or will it uh, give states pause and let them uh, sit back and watch what happens with the Colorado experiment? Well, you're you're absolutely going to see a blue red state divide, so that the blue states, you know, the much more liberal states are 
are going to be looking at this, but I think they may look at Colorado kind of as an experiment. And, it, you know, it's going to take it years, several years, to get up and running. So it's going to be, therefore, several more years after that for people to see the restrictions and the failures. So that's why it's so important to look at government-run healthcare systems in, in, in existence today to see what happens to people. In, in Canada, you're supposed to have universal access to healthcare anytime, anywhere. Well, that's only true if you can find a, a primary care physician because they're a gatekeeper to other experts and, and to other specialists. And if you can't get a primary care physician, you are blocked from being able to access routine care. You can still go to the emergency room, but that's like in the the United States. That is that for many people is a is a um, venue of last resort. But even in Canada, there are there's a shortage of primary care physicians. Why? Because they're not paid enough. And as a result, in some sub provinces, you see people that say they're they're technically insured, they're under the Canadian healthcare system. If they can't find a primary care physician, they can't get access to care. There's also a shortage of specialists in Canada, and yes. it's the the and the doctors who are there are actually quite happy f- from a financial standpoint and from a from a um, a uh, professional standpoint. They they uh, are busy, so they 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 do well financially and they're busy. The problem is that. In Canada, it's very difficult to get licensed because the government controls the number of specialists that uh, can practice. And so that's why so many Canadians emigrate to the United States because they just can't um, practice in Canada. So if you're lucky enough to get a, uh, a position in Canada, you do pretty well. And the patients, you know, um, get good doctors, but the problem is getting into those doctors because of the incredible shortage because uh, the government is, is keeping a stranglehold on that. Well, the Fraser Institute, which is a Canadian think tank, annually does a report about how long the waiting lines are for very access for various various treatments in Canada and you can wait 18 months for for some to see some specialist right and for most people the disease is going to take its course long before that so there's a there's a um, you know rationing by waiting lines is another way to, to restrict access to care and for the government to save money and our good friend Sally pipes always tells the story she's a canadian and her with the pacific research institute now yes and here in the United States. and she was with the fraser institute and she tells the story about her mother and her uh, mother's cancer and how uh and how it was not caught in time because uh, there really was just no sense of urgency in canada right but you know the in the colorado care Propaganda. The it it just is you know too good to be true, and and it's it's really um, sad that that people are going to uh, look at this and think this is the Bernie Sanders um, playbook. This is promise everything, and and don't tell people you know how how it's going to be paid for because so, magically you know some pot of money is going to appear and. Uh, and this is going to uh, pay for this. And with the 10% payroll tax that you uh, described, two-thirds of which comes from business, which will um, not expand and the economy will be depressed, and a third of it will come from um, the uh, 
the the patients themselves from employees and they're going to see decreasing paychecks because of this they're just they don't uh, they're they're not they're not connecting the dots well but they argue <clears throat> that that the companies will save in not having to pay for health care premiums for their employees and that employees will save from not having to pay their their uh, their share of their health insurance costs. So that's how they're, they're selling it to people. It's actually going to cost you less over time because you don't have to pay for your private health insurance. But that's assuming. I mean, we have the example of the co-ops that the, that Obamacare started. You know, these were, these were similar little test cases. Right. Of the, of this experiment they're talking about. The co-ops were designed to be citizen run with um, you know, not having to have worry about profits because they were going to be nonprofit corporations. More than half of them have failed. Most recently in Ohio, despite an influx of billions of dollars in federal money, and these co-ops have been a disaster because people don't know what they're doing, right. and they wind up making all these promises of low premiums and then they get these big doctor's bills and they don't know how to manage the care. They don't know how to negotiate better prices with with um, hospitals and physicians. And in fact, one, one of the co-ops leased a network from another insurance company, an additional 5% of their revenues. And one of their, they're leasing a network from one of their competitors and underpricing them. <laughs> they don't even know how to price their product effectively, That's and crazy. they are going under. And in, unfortunately, many physicians are not being paid. I testified before right. Congress on this last week that many physicians are not being paid be, when the co-ops fail because they're required to continue to pay to cover patients for at a, for three months after the patient stops paying their uh, their premiums, but. They, there's no way they can yeah. they can get paid other than to go to the patient. Well, it's it's a disaster, and uh, there's much more to talk about when we get back in the doctor's lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients, dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. With me today is our special guest, Grace Marie Turner, the uh, president and founder of the Galen Institute. I encourage everyone to go to Galen, G-A-L-E-N, dot org, uh, to uh, really get an understanding of the issues in healthcare. Um, Grace Marie and her team put together a tremendous amount of information that will help you to understand these complex issues in healthcare. One of which um, is uh, Obamacare, and sh- every uh, week they put out the uh, they they aggregate the information that's out there in healthcare that you should be uh, reading about. Um, it's it's under Obamacare Watch, and uh, you can get to it through uh, ObamacareWatch.org if uh, you're um, inclined to learn more about healthcare, and I encourage everyone to uh, to uh, go to those sites and uh, and uh, just get up to speed. Um, Want to switch gears, Grace Marie? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Um, one of the things that, you know, in the Obamacare Watch, you know, we, you, you've uh, chronicled a tremendous amount of information. One of the um, things that uh, you'd uh, had in here, not in the recent one, but, but, uh, but a few, a few uh, uh, weeks back, talking about um, the macro law, we spent... Uh, the last three shows uh, and devoted time trying to educate people on MACRA. My co-host, Mike Karuchik, has done a tremendous job in creating uh, dialogue with Andy Slavitt, who is the administrator of CMS, and had him on our show last week and interviewed him so we could get information right from the horse's mouth about where CMS is coming from with MACRA. And um, your um, the week before, we had uh, your, your good friend Bob Moffitt from the Heritage Foundation, who is a leading expert on Medicare, explaining what the effects of MACRA would be <clears throat> on, on Medicare. And, um, and your other friend, uh, Jim Capretta, wrote a tremendous piece in the Wall Street Journal entitled MACRA, The Quiet Healthcare Takeover. Uh, I and the Docs for Patient Care Foundation and many of us who were paying attention to this when this was still being debated as as a law or as a bill before it became passed as a law, knew that this was going to be an utter disaster and, uh, and um, you know, Detrimental to patients and and physicians and the healthcare system as a whole. Um, we have really not spoken about macro. Uh, why don't you um, give us your take on this and and share your thoughts? Well, you know, whenever government passes a major new piece of legislation like this, it opens up the door for tens of thousands pages of regulation, which is exactly what we're going to get, and already are from um, the implementation of this law. Just to, for, for those those listeners, just to give a little bit of background, it is uh, it was passed because it was clear that the, quote, sustainable growth rate, the SGR, um, which is a which annual cuts to physician pay required by law, 
was just not where they're not sustainable every year congress would override these cuts so they never went into effect year after year after year and and doctors had to spend so much of their time going up to capitol hill to lobby that their 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 bill their payments from medicare not be cut by one percent two percent and it finally got up to about 21 percent cuts in Medicare if Congress hadn't overridden this law. So it was clear this ha- this happened under former Speaker John Boehner, really took the lead saying we have to get rid of this daily this daily and, and annual game to pretend that we're going to cut physician pay in Medicare when we know we're not going to do it. He said we're going to stop this dance and we're going to pass legislation that, that goes about um, regulating Medicare payment in a different way. And many, many conservatives objected to this legislation. They wanted to get rid of the, of the SGR and the facade of the, of the uh, cuts in doctor payments and these annual doc fix votes, but they didn't agree with the uh, restrictions that it would likely place in other ways on physician practice. And so what happened was that John Boehner had to get many more Democrats to join in in order to be able to get this legislation over the finish line. And as a result, they were able to put into this law many more restrictions than they originally anticipated when they were just trying to get rid of the dog fix. And so that's what we wound up with. We wound up with legislation that had tremendous bipartisan support, but the bipartisan, every single one of those Democratic votes came with a price. I really fault my conservative friends for not saying, I want, pretty clear this was going to pass because it just wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. But instead of saying, in order to get my vote, this has to have fewer restrictions on physicians, they didn't negotiate, but the left did. And so the Democrats negotiated, and they want all these restrictions that are going to wind up forcing doctors to make really kind of uh, Hobsonian choices. And, you know, there's no good choice here in how you organize your practice in order to continue to, to escape different kinds of a different set of cuts in Medicare payments going forward. And many physicians are saying that the, the rules and the, the regulations, the requirements for electronic medical records are just prohibitively expensive, complex, and a waste of their time, which is, I think, one of the most criminal things in this. The doctors are being required to, to work an additional three or four hours every day to comply with all the paperwork requirements that do not add anything and, in fact, often subtract from patient care. So it is it is not a solution, and it's another example of why when government tries to fix something, it winds up getting worse. I heard you talking about, about mercury escaping. Every time they let something out, it gets completely completely out of hand, and there's no way they can get contain it. And this is a perfect example, Hal. The, the thing that um, is so disturbing about MACRA that, that, uh, is that just like Colorado Care, it's flying under the radar. Nobody knows what this is about. When I go to doctor lounges and talk to my colleagues about MACRA, I, I would say that 9 out of 10 people don't know what this is all about. They don't have any clue what's coming down the road. <clears throat> and 
you talked earlier with the single payer about covert rationing. In in many ways, this is that camel's nose under the tent. It's getting to that government control, the single payer, with covert rationing, and the macro law has in it parts of of uh, this this whole objectionable single payer um, nonsense, like covert rationing. How do they do that? By rewarding doctors who use less resources. So let me let me put this into context for listeners. What that means is that if you are sick and you might need certain testing done, if your doctor is being paid by how much they're using and they'll get rewarded by using less, they may cut corners, not because they are bad doctors, but because they're going to now be thinking twice about using a, doing a test that they ordinarily might have done before, but now they definitely are going to have negative financial repercussions if they order it. There's negative implications if people are doctors are readmitting patients to a hospital. If you have a sick patient who needs to come back to the hospital, a doctor who over admits patients, who brings patients back within a certain period of time after a previous hospitalization, they're going to get a bad mark against them. Doctors are going to be discouraged from taking care of the sickest patients. Why? Because, again, overutilization of resources and negative financial implications. And then finally, many of the doctors, well, the, the, that's, that's the, the covert stuff that we object to. The, the thing that, that uh, there, there's two major problems in here for patients. One is that the um, information, the medical information is not protected, and the government has real-time access into doctors' Um, electronic medical records under these provisions, which means not just Medicare patients, but all patients. The second thing, which should really um, uh, trouble everyone, is that this law is is speeding up the death of private practice in this country. And how? Because doctors can't pay for the overhead involved in implementing this, so that's going to cost them money, and this is going to result in doctors getting paid less. And the, the, the data that the government itself <clears throat> has generated, <clears throat> which Mike Karuchik actually confronted uh, Andy Slavitt about, is that doctors who are um, in smaller practices, anything, any um, practice group that is less than 50 doctors is slated to probably lose money under this system, and so it favors the movement of doctors out of private practice and into large hospital uh, conglomerates. I do, I do think, Hal, that that's really the track we're on, that, that doctors are just finally going to find it's just too difficult to maintain private practices, and we're going to see more and more of them sold to hospitals. And maybe we can also talk, Hal, about an effort by the current 
Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan, to really put us on a very different track with health reform um, and maybe sort of end on a positive okay. note to talk about some of the work of the health care task force and really coming up with a much more positive way of moving forward with health reform, um, a plan that's likely to be reduced, re- okay. released next week. And, and you know what? We'll, we will devote the last segment exactly to that, Grace Marie, when we come back to the Doctors' Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying with us in the Doctor's Lounge with my guest, Grace Marie Turner. We're going to get right to the issue that uh, Grace Marie brought up, which is a positive uh, solution that uh, Paul Ryan and uh, some of the people in the House are talking about with health care. And Grace Marie, if you'd stay with us after uh, the show's over for just a minute, I know you've got other commitments. I just We just want to touch on one thing, if you would be so of kind. Course. So, so um, pick up the thought about Paul Ryan. So... Paul Ryan is he's really a wonderful I've known him since he was a, an intern in working with Jack Kemp in the early 1990s. And he's a, a really thoughtful, smart guy. And he said, we need to, as Republicans, show the American people what agenda we would pass. They have had to spend the last eight years almost fighting the Obama administration on his policies. They said, we need to show a positive path forward. So he has a number of task forces that are that are run by the key committee chairman of jurisdiction up there. And one of them is on health care, others on, um, on national security, on taxes, on regulatory reform. But the health care task force is made up of four key committee chairmen and very senior staffers who have been working very closely with with their members to develop a plan that really is it's a comprehensive replace Obamacare plan but it goes beyond because Obamacare you know it, it, it has 
sweeping a sweeping effect of tentacles in every aspect of health care, but it still only covers about 10 or 12 percent of Americans. Medicare, Medicaid cover many, many millions more, tens of millions more, and and the private health insurance market also needs to have more flexibility. So what they're doing is would repeal Obamacare, but then they would they would put doctors and patients back in charge of health care decisions. They'd get they pull back on government regulation. They would especially federal regulation, they would return the authority to the states who do what know what they're doing and who have much more experience in regulating health insurance than they do at the federal level. And mostly returning power to people to have more choices of private insurance, more ways that people can make arrangements with physicians to get the care they need and not be in this these restricted boxes required by Obamacare. They also would give more flexibility for Medicare patients to be able to have more choices in how their Medicare uh, their Medicare coverage is organized, give states the chance to integrate Medicaid and the state children's health insurance program so that they would have be able to not have to go to Washington every time they want to make a change to these programs with this sort of hat in their hands, mother may I request, but actually to say we know how to take care of our people better than Washington does and give people a chance to give the states a chance and if you know some states decide that they wanted to go a single payer system, that's happening now as we see in Colorado. Others are going to say, finally, we don't have to be under this rubric of, of Washington control, and we can do a better job ourselves. And that's that is also bipartisan. Governors of Republican and Democrat want more control over the resources that are being spent on health care instead of having this this incredible battery of Washington rules and regulations, up to really hundreds of thousands of pages, that run the, the Medicaid program, the state children's health insurance program, and that give them more power. And I think the citizens would be more engaged now, Hal, to be able to to to, to get it. We've done a number of focus groups. They, they want state control over health care. They say Washington's too remote. You can't have the same rules for New York City as for Montana. You've got to be able to give more flexibility to adjust to local resources and local circumstances. So that's really what they're going to be talking about. There's something that they'll be taking to the voters this fall. Members will be talking about this. And they are solving many of the problems that Obamacare was trying to solve, but they'll do it by putting the forces that work at the rest of our economy back to to into play, consumer choice, private, real genuine competition, and get have a really strong safety net so so that this program does protect the most vulnerable in our society and not just have this be a sort of a green eye shade numbers exercise, but really something that is designed to give people a chance to get better care to make sure the most vulnerable are being taken care of and that the program is financially stable over the longer term. We have a tab on our Obamacare Watch website called Solutions, and people can look at all the different you know, plans by conservatives to, to figure out where we, would, we should be going instead of this track to government-run health care that we're on now. So it's ObamacareWatch.org. We 
we post on the site daily to update people on what's happening with this law, and I invite people to click on the button to subscribe to our weekly roundup of articles that sort of the top ten articles of the week that we um, that people need to know so they can understand what's happening on the ground with this law. ObamacareWatch.org. I highly recommend it. I, I'm a subscriber, and um, and as somebody who is in the weeds and a wonk, this aggregated information helps myself as as much as it would somebody who knows nothing. So, so this is really a way to educate yourself, and I highly, highly um, recommend this to the and audience. It's free doesn't cost anything. Exactly. So are you a person, Grace Marie, who believes that uh, the, the rhetoric about um, repealing Obamacare is, is realistic, or do you think that uh, what we really need to do is focus on freeing up alternatives to people so that they can, they can uh, have the health care that they want, which I think is probably the realistic way and, and the way that will ultimately win out in, in over, over time. You're right. It, it, we have to move forward, not back. And the, the entire health care system has, been, has reorganized itself around the tens of thousands of pages of regulations that have been passed down that are like they have to comply with as, as though it were federal law to comply with this law. So we can't undo that reorganization, but we have to move forward with a, with a system that comports better with our economy. We're seeing dramatic premium increases coming in 2017 for the insurance under Obamacare and inside and outside the exchanges. And it's because the government is so, is so distorting the system that the that the normal forces that would contain prices are not working. And when people start to see 60% increases in their health insurance, how in some places in the country, yeah. they're, they're just going to rebel. So I think you're going to see that there really is a climate, people demanding reform and, and moving forward, repealing as much of the law as possible, particularly its most destructive provisions, which actually what were legislation was passed in earlier this year send to the president's desk, get rid of the employer mandate, get rid of the individual mandate, get rid of the exchanges, get rid of some of the most onerous taxes and provisions in Obamacare. And basically, if you pull out those pillars, the whole thing begins to collapse. Mm -hmm. So they know they can get that through Congress and to the president's desk. What they need is a president who would sign it so that we have a cleaner slate moving forward to move forward with the kinds of, of health reform that we're talking about here and that Docs for Patients Care, the Galen Institute, the Steamboat Institute, the Independence Institute, the Pacific Research Institute all support. You know, I, we, we're, only, we're coming to the end. We only have a few minutes. And you, you just brought up the uh, last point that I really wanted to get to, which is a president that will sign this. And I, I'd like you to just take a couple of minutes and remind people about Hillary Clinton Care in 1994. And, and I believe that what we're seeing right now with Obamacare is nothing compared to what, where she wants to take health care. She really does want to have a much bigger swath of private health insurance totally controlled by government. And that is very clear. She ran that task force in 1993 that developed the Clinton Care Plan. And it was, it was much more restrictive 
than than even Obamacare is. And she has clearly said that she believes Obamacare is a good platform, and she plans to move forward from there. And she has already told us twenty what now three years ago what that plan would be and i hope during this campaign there will be an opportunity to really tell voters what her plan is to for even stricter government control over our health care system through the portal of the regulatory state that and uh that we that we already see happening and that i think would really be on steroids in a clinton administration well i don't i'm not optimistic that that will get out there um the media is is uninterested in relitigating health care. Uh, they know that it's a disaster. They're complicit in uh, what we have right now with egg on their face. If the uh, if any honest reporters ask the questions that need to be asked, raise the points that you're raising in in this uh, in this discussion about uh, costs going up, about uh, access going down, which were the two reasons why we we uh, have Obamacare. Um, the they've they've changed the the uh, the argument, the debate in the middle because they know they've lost that one already. That's right. Well, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, election season, and I'm I'm hopeful that um, we we can get the word out. How how do you you know going circling back and closing the loop on Colorado Care? You know, the the thing that uh, in the last uh, in the last minute, how do people? How do we um, g- get this message out to people and 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 wake them up? Well, if they're in Colorado, please show up the debate. So up at the debate, so we don't just have the single payer advocates at these debates. They can go to the Steamboat Institute website to find the schedule. We're going to be in Steamboat. We'll be in Inglewood, Colorado, and we'll be uh, a couple of other places. So go to the Steamboat Institute. That's again organizing these debates and sponsoring them to. Um, and actually, we'll find we'll find a schedule and we'll put it on the Obamacare Watch website Perfect. and on the Galen.org website as well, so people can, if they're in Colorado, join us. But mostly, pay attention because this could be coming to your state as well. But if you're in Colorado, please join us at these debates. And we'll put Next it up week. on our we'll put it up on the Docs for Patient Care website too. Great. Grace Marie, thanks so much for being here again in the Doctors Lounge, and I look forward to having you back. And good thanks luck in for Colorado. All you do, Al. Thanks so much. Okay. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio.